Would you please join me in welcoming and honoring my dear friend, J.T. Meyer. Thank you. It's just a real honor to be here with you guys this morning. Like Evan said, I'm the, the worship pastor at the Vineyard Church of Delaware County. I've been a worship leader since I was like 14 or 15 years old, and I'm 18 now. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm 33, I think. But I'm, I'm, I'm 33, so I remember when I first started leading worship, uh, this older worship leader kind of took me under his wing, and he invited me to this uh, worship uh, conference for kind of college age worship leaders, and I was younger, but I, I, I went in, and it was like super amazing, like passionate worship, and I remember just watching everyone raising their hands and like, you know, just really getting into the worship, uh, and the band was awesome, and I remember just kind of feeling like nothing. And just feeling like I'm, I'm missing out on something. Like I'm not connecting to what everyone else is connecting to. Have you ever felt like that? Like everyone else is really connecting to something powerful. And you're kind of like, this is, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I've noticed in different times in my life, there'll be, you know, seasons. Or maybe it's just a, a morning when I come to church. Uh, I just am not feeling worship. Like, I'm not really connecting to what everyone else was connecting to. And, you know, this morning at both services, the worship was just awesome. Like, you guys have awesome worship here. And you may have been experiencing that. You may have been feeling like, man, everyone's clapping and singing, and I don't know what's going on. And maybe you don't relate to this at all. Maybe you're like, no, I love worship, and I always have an easy time doing it. Um, but I would say if we're a follower of Christ, that we all should have a, a desire to have a deeper understanding and a, and a, a, a more uh, rich and passionate worship life. Wouldn't you agree? So, oh, good. Then, then we can talk. If you said no, I'd be like, all right, we'll see you later. Um, so we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible that I think is the epitome of worship. It's just really like what authentic worship looks like. And we're going to be looking at a story. We're looking at four different things in this story of what worship, worship is. So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 12 or get out your iPhone or whatever you have or Android. I don't judge. Um, <laughs> but let me just pray real fast and just invite the Lord here. Jesus, we just, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you. Um, we, we just say we love you, and we just ask for you to speak to us. And I just pray that you can speak through me, and that I won't say anything that you didn't put on my heart. In your name, amen. All right, so the story we're going to be looking at is, is a story that some of you may be familiar with, and it's a story that takes place right after a really famous story in the Bible that most of us will be familiar with. It's the story when Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. So basically what happens is Jesus has this family that are like his closest friends. It's Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Lazarus dies. Um, and Jesus, like, for some reason, waits a few days and then comes into town, and everyone's, like, super discouraged that he waited a few days to come into town, but then he raises Lazarus from the dead, 
which is awesome. It's a super cool story. And so what we're going to be looking at now is what happens right after that. And I knew this story as a little kid, but I never knew that they were connected. But it's, I think it's really important to know that they are connected. So why don't we start reading? So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Let's stop for a minute. So essentially, what's going on is they're, just, they're throwing a big party. They're celebrating what had just happened. They're celebrating the fact that Lazarus was dead and now he's alive. Um, and this is super significant um, and really dangerous, actually, because the, the, that whole event, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, was what really got the ball rolling for the plans to crucify him. That's when the, the religious leaders decided, like, okay, this is getting out of hand. He's not just talking and doing these really nice miracles. He's doing crazy stuff now. And, you know, Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive, so we got to kill him too. And so they were planning on killing Jesus and his followers and Lazarus. And the disciples would have known this. Everyone would have known this because the talk around town was, all right, they're going to go into hiding. Jesus and the disciples are going to totally go into hiding now. But instead, they decide to throw this big party, which I think is cool, because Jesus likes to party. Um, And then something really profound happens in the story. So let's keep on reading. So then Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Okay. So what just happened? So at this dinner party where they're celebrating, and Mary, who's the sister of Lazarus, she falls to Jesus' feet while everyone's eating. She takes out her perfume, this pint of pure nard, and she begins to pour it on his feet anointing his feet, and she takes down her hair, begins to weep, and, and the, 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 the aroma of the, the oils filling up everywhere. And she takes down her hair, and she begins to clean his feet with her hair. And so what does this have to do with worship? Like this, I thought we were going to talk about worship. Well, really, I believe that what she is doing is like the epitome of what worship is. Like, I think this is what real, authentic worship looks like. So the first thing we see and what she does, and this is the first point, the first point is this, that worship is a response. Worship is a response. This was Mary's response to what Jesus had done for her and her, her family. I love this, this quote. It says that worship is the believer's response of all that he is, mind, emotion, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. It is a loving response that is balanced by the fear of the Lord and is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. Worship is our response to who God is and to what he does in our life. And I love how that quote says that Worship is a deepening response. 
That's super cool to me. Like, worship is something that grows. Like, the more we get to know the Lord, the, the, the closer we get to him, the deeper our worship um, becomes. Like, the more we see his power or his majesty or his, his, his kindness or his faithfulness, like, the more we worship, the deeper our worship becomes. And for Mary, this is a response to Jesus raising her brother from the dead. Like, that's awesome. Like, what a cool event. But did you know, here's what's really cool, that Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was actually a picture of what he planned to do for all of us. It was a picture of what Jesus intends to do for all of us. Jesus came to raise us all from the dead. If you read through the book of of Ephesians, it talks about this. It talks about how we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our transgressions. But now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been made alive. Jesus raised us all from the dead by what he did on the cross. And that's good news. That's awesome that we've been made alive in Christ. You know, we may be in the midst of like just hard, hard situations. Like you may have lost your job or a loved one is sick or you may be sick or, or you know, who knows. But just the fact that Jesus paid for your sins and, and brought you from death to life is reason to worship. It's reason to worship. And not only that, but we have like the most killer promise in the world. Like we have such a beautiful promise at the very end of the Bible. It says that one day every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And there will be no more pain, no more sickness. And we have a hope that one day every hardship will be made right. It's beautiful. And that God will never forsake us. Or, or, or leave us. Those are all promises in the Bible. And those are reasons to worship. That in the midst of our hardships, Jesus is with us. It's beautiful. And he takes that future reality that one day all things will be made new and he brings it to today. And we see people that were blind see color. We see uh, the reality of people who have been fighting depression, you know, have hope in their life. That's that future hope breaking into the kingdom today. It's beautiful. And that's reason to worship. But we may be in the middle of hardships. You know, this year has been a really hard year for me and my family. But you know, every time I'm in the midst of something really hard, you know, what I say to either Satan or or the world or whoever, I say, you, you know, you can take away everything in my life but you cannot take away my worship. You can't take away my worship because worship is my choice. It's my response. Worship is a response. I love that we have a, a God that draws near to that and interacts with us. That's reason to worship. Worshiping God because he is mighty, he's strong, he's kind, he's faithful, he's love. He's the beginning and the end. Those are reasons to worship. Not just for what he does, but just who he is. He deserves our worship. And so the next thing we see in Mary's actions is this, is that worship is a posture. 
Worship is a posture. This is something that I think real, that Mary really gets. Um, do you know Mary is mentioned three times in the Bible? And do you know what all three of these stories have in common? Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Every time we see Mary, she's at, his, at Jesus' feet. This in the ancient Near East was a sign of humility, it was a sign of honor. And it probably still is today, but really back then it was a sign to say, like, you are the authority. Like, I am at your feet. Our worship needs to come from that place, that posture of, of gazing up at him, being at his feet. That it's all about honoring him. Saying that he is God. We are not. He is God. He is king. He is father. He is the shepherd. He is master. He is the authority. It's us falling to his feet. You know, it's super common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that when people enter the presence of God, you know what happens? They fall like flat on their face. They fall flat on their face. And most of the time it's involuntary. Like they can't help it. They just fall down. The Bible tells us that, that he is to be feared. And that always confused me. Like, what does that mean, that we're to fear the Lord? And it doesn't mean we need to be scared of him. It means we need to recognize that he is almighty God, that he is the king. He is the creator of the universe and holds the entire universe in the palm of his hands. And to fear him means to have this healthy respect of his power and his righteousness and his holiness. A good example of this is in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you guys ever read that or seen the movie? I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. There's this, this part in the, in the story where the, the kids are about to meet Aslan. And Aslan is this lion that basically represents Jesus. And they're about to meet him, and they think he's a, a man, but they find out that he's a lion. And so they start to get a little scared. And they start talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about it. And listen to what Mrs. Beaver says when, when little Susan says that she's a little nervous to meet him and that she might feel scared. Mrs. Beaver says, That you will, dearie. Make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then Lucy says, Isn't he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's a perfect picture. Like, Jesus is good, but we are to, like, be like, oh, man, he, with one, like, move, he could crush the universe. But he won't because he's good. That's that healthy respect and fear we have of the Lord. We were created to, to gaze at him. And to bring him glory and honor. We are created to worship him. Worship is getting the eyes off, our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes focused on him. It's this posture. You know, I once heard John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, say, people would come up to him after service and say something like, man, I really didn't get anything out of worship today. And he would say, you're not supposed to get anything out of worship. 
You're supposed to give something in worship. Worship is not about you. It's about Him. Is that good? Worship is about how wonderful He is. How amazing God is. And if we get something out of worship, which a lot of times we do, that's just a bonus. It's a bonus. And I know for me, just being honest, most of the time when I worship, it's because I feel led to. Like if I feel something, if I feel moved, or I feel like I'm in a right mood, I will worship the Lord. But that is totally unbiblical. Like that is totally unbiblical. The Lord is to be worshipped always. And it's not when we feel like it. It's a, it's a conscious act of will. It's a choice to, to, to worship him because he deserves it. Not just when we feel something stirred inside of us. Like there is a time where you feel something stir inside of you and you can't help but just, you know, praising the Lord. But we are to worship the Lord even when we don't feel like it. He deserves to be worshipped. We need to bow at his feet because he's the king. And, and I know for me, and I would, I would assume most of, most of us, we get it so backwards. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. And even though it's about him, here's what's so beautiful. And this is one of the reasons I love God so much. It's that when we are focused on him and we're praising him, we experience the fullness of life. And do you know why? It's not because he's like, you know, like when you do this, I'll, I'll give you this. It's because that's, we're doing what we were made to do. Like when we worship God, we experience the fullness of life because that's what we are created for. Like it's when you, you start using a tool the way it was made to be used. Like you, that's what it was made for. It's way more useful. Like, I've tried to cut down trees with a chainsaw without turning it on. It's not very useful. <laughs> it's not true. I've never done that. <laughs> but we're so focused on what we need. We're so focused on, on, or at least I am, on what I want, my desires. And I know... I, so many times in my life, I've, I've gotten to these points where I just feel like I'm in this rut, or I feel like I'm stuck. And 90% of the time, the re I feel the reason why I get in these ruts is because I am so inward focused. And it's when I take my gaze off of my situation or my surroundings or the things in my life that aren't going the way that I wanted or this or that, and I focus on Jesus, like I, I can move forward. And it's because when we're focused on him, that's where we grow. We start becoming who we were made to be. Because did you know that Jesus today wants to have like a super intimate relationship with you? Like I believe right now Jesus is speaking to each and every one of us. Like right now he's speaking to you and saying, I want to tell you who I made you to be. I want to tell you the plans I have for your life. I want to tell you my secrets. And we need to stop focusing on ourselves and focusing on and start focusing on him so we can be a part of that. Saying, God, you are the source. You are what brings life. You know, I kind of walked away from the Lord in my early 20s 
for a little bit. And um, I remember when I came back to him, I said this really simple prayer that uh, was really profound for for my life. But I, I basically said, Lord, I'm sick of asking you to come into my life. I'm sick of asking you to come and do what I'm doing and to bless what I'm involved with and to go where I'm going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to go where you go. I want to be where you are. And it was that moment, even even though probably like five minutes later I I like started looking inward again, it's when I could look at him and say, I want to go where you're going, that my life just completely changed. I started to see what I was made to do. Worship is about God. And in this story, if you read further, in the story with Mary, Judas, his response to what Mary did was like, that's so wasteful. Like you could have taken that oil and sold it and given the money to the poor. And to be honest, I think I probably would have said something similar. Like I could totally hear myself saying that. But Judas was totally missing the point. And I would have been totally missing the point. Sometimes we are so focused on doing the right thing. Like what Mary did seems like that was a wasteful thing. That's not the right thing to do with that money. And we get so focused on doing the right thing that we miss like what we're supposed to be doing. Here's what I mean. Jesus wants to get the focus off of what we're doing and not doing and put the focus on him. So in a sense, I'm telling you to stop, being, stop trying to be a good person. And I'm kind of serious about it. I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But seriously, we, like God is not calling us into a life of, 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 for lack of a better term, sin management. He's not calling us into a life where we're just like, man, I got to make sure I'm doing this and I got to make sure I'm not doing this. He is calling us into a life of worship, of, of, of deep worship of our Creator. And you know what the, the, the overflow of that is? You know what the outcome of worship is? Obedience. Obedience happens when we're worshiping Jesus. Because it's in our worship that we change. It's in our worship that our our passions change, our desires change, our will starts to form into his will. Obedience comes from worship. So we need to stop trying to be good people and and start trying to worship Jesus. And we turn into good people. Worship is a posture. It's saying, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. Next thing we see here with Mary is that worship is a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. We see this when Mary pours out the perfume, the pint of pure nard. This was, you know, when I was a kid and I would hear this story, and I think she poured out some perfume. Like, I have a bottle of brute. I can pour that out. Like, <laughs> It's like five bucks or something. But no, this is is not that. This is a huge sacrifice. A pint of pure nard would have been worth, in today's equivalent, about $50,000. $50,000. That's crazy. We don't know where she got it. We don't know how she 
She, you know, it could have been her inheritance. That was really common. Um, it could have been her retirement. But we do know that this was a huge sacrifice. This was a huge sacrifice for Mary. Our worship needs to be a sacrifice. Our worship needs to cost us something. Romans 12 talks about how we are to offer our body as living sacrifices. It says that this is your true and proper worship, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. This means we are to give everything to the Lord. We are called to give everything to the Lord. We're to say there's nothing in my life that's off limits. Not my time, not my money, not my sexuality, not my relationships, not my comfort. That one hits home with me. Not how much I watch the TV, nothing. There's nothing that's off limits. Worship needs to cost us something. And let me be clear. Just because it costs us something doesn't mean we are buying something. We aren't buying. We're not making a purchase. We're not making a transaction. Because God's grace and his love and his mercy and his power and all just the wonderful things that the, the, the Lord just pours out on us is free. It's a gift. It's a gift. It doesn't cost us a thing. And our worship is a response to that, like we talked about earlier. It has to, and it has to cost us something. It's saying, Lord, you have been so generous. You gave your life for me. My only response is to do the same. I, I have to give you my life. And this is, how, this is actually how intimacy works. This is how intimacy works. Whenever I do a wedding... Um, I always say that marriage isn't a 50-50 agreement. It's not. It's not a 50-50 agreement. It's not like, I'll meet you halfway. It's each party being willing to give 100% of who they are to the other person. It's 100-100. And that's how intimacy works. It's saying, Jesus, you gave all for me. So if I want to have an intimate relationship with you, I need to give my all to you. And not because he's like, well, I'm going to hold back if you don't. But, you know, I just know in my marriage, when I am not giving fully to my wife, I just miss out on the, the, the fullness and the intimacy that we could have with one another. And marriage is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. We, we're called the bride of Christ. So as he gives his all for us, we, we're to do that in return. And he loves us and, and pours out his mercy on us no matter what. Even if we're like giving him like 25%. He, does, he gives us 100% no matter what. But sometimes we're unable to see all that he's doing for us and all that he's done for us if we're not willing to give 100% back to him. It just positions ourselves to receive more. Getting our eyes off our needs and what we want and what we think we deserve and focusing on giving to the Lord is life-changing. It's life-changing. But the truth is, the closer we get to the Lord, and I'm sure many of you guys can attest to this, the more he asks from us. 
Like I know the closer I get to God, the more I feel like he's like, hey, Jay. He calls me Jay. He says, hey, Jay, I want to deal with this. Or, hey, JT, I want you to give this up. This attitude is not healthy. Or this behavior, is, is, this is not good. This has become an idol in your life. I remember at one point in my life, um, like Evan was saying, like, I, I love playing music. And being in a band and, and being a musician, like, was so so important to me. And I felt like at one point in my early 20s, the Lord said, hey, I want, I want you to give that up. And just like any good Christian, I was like, nope, no way. <laughs> I was like, God, that's who I am. That's who I am. And like as those words were leaving my mouth, like I, I realized why he was asking me to give it up. It's because I was finding my identity in it. I was finding my identity in something that I did and rather than who I was, that I was a son of God. That's my identity. And so I, I yeah, I finally decided, okay, I'll give it up. And, I st- and then he gave it back to me years later. And, uh, and not that playing music is bad, but just the fact I, was, I had an unhealthy relationship to playing music. And that was difficult for me. And over the years, I've realized that the Lord asks me to give things to him. The Lord asks me to sacrifice. And I've learned to try and be obedient to those things. Because that's worship. And there's always a reason behind it. It's not like he's, it's not because he's just a mean God who's like, I want this now. And now I want, it's like he wants us to grow and be more like him and be who he made us to be. But it requires us saying, there's nothing off limits, God. Everything is yours. Everything in my life is yours. That's worship. So asking the Lord, is there anything that you want me to give up? Is there anything that you want me to sacrifice? Because the truth is, is there's people around the world who are, you know, To worship the Lord, they must be willing to to give up their life actually. But for all of us, worship is a sacrifice. And that's a dangerous thing to say. Like, Lord, is there anything in my life that you want me to give up? Or is there there anything that you want me to really work on? Because he always answers that one with me. There's always something in my life. But that's worship. So maybe today God is asking you, to sacrifice how you spend your free time or how you spend your money or, or maybe he's asking you to sacrifice an attitude or a behavior. But worship is a sacrifice. Okay, finally, we've got to move on. Worship is extravagant. This is my favorite one. Worship is extravagant. Extravagant means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. And we really see this with Mary. We see it when she poured out the oil. That was, that was extravagant. But you know where we really see this? Is when she lets down her hair and starts cleaning his feet. And this totally gets lost on us today, but this wouldn't have got lost on the, on the audience then. Because in this time when a woman, the only time a woman would let down her hair was with her husband. It was a very intimate thing in, this, in, in first century Israel. And if a woman was to let down her hair in public, 
she was a prostitute. But Mary lets down her hair, essentially saying, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. I don't care what anyone else says about me. I'm going to clean your feet with my hair. That's extravagant. It's beautiful. She was saying, my identity is safe in you. I don't care what anyone says about me. We're called to worship with that kind of abandon. Like my, my worship hero is David from, from the Bible. And there's this story in, in uh, 2 Samuel. You can, I think it's in chapter 6. But there's this uh, story where he's like totally worshiping the Lord. And he goes crazy. Like he's worshiping God like, like a madman. And like literally people think he's insane because he's, he's, he, the way he's worshiping. And I love what he says, his response uh, to the people as he says, I will become even more undignified than this. And this is the best part. He says, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Like, he's like, I know. Like, I'm crazy. It's crazy. And I don't know about you, but deep down, I want to worship like that. Like, I want to worship where I just don't care what people say about me. Like, I don't care what people think about me. I want, I want to worship my king. So when we worship God on our own or together, it needs to be extravagant. It should be with all of our being. You know, singing or shouting or, or bowing or, or dancing or lifting our hands or whatever it is. I don't know what it looks like for you. That's, that's between you and God, but it needs to be extravagant. Matt Redmond says, Our Heavenly Father loves us with an extravagant abandon. So passionate, undignified worship is our only reasonable response. That's cool. Do you know that the word hallelujah comes from the root word halal, which means to be foolish or mad before the Lord? So when we say hallelujah, we're basically saying we'll be mad, we'll be fools for you, Lord. Our worship needs to be unashamed, passionate and extravagant. And again, I don't mean that we all need to go crazy. It's going to look different for each and every one of us. But we need to just not care what we think. You need to not care what I think or what Eben and Sarah thinks or Rufus thinks or whoever or what the person next to you thinks. That's extravagant. 